The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Welcome to Overland Park Community Church. It's good to have you here today. I, uh, uh, I really don't want to talk about the Sooners. <laughs> so uh, I've kind of run my mouth about that a little bit, and uh, you know, you get what's coming to you. And so thank you, Iowa State. Um, but hey, we can look forward to the Chiefs tonight, and hopefully they can keep their winning streak going. And you're not in here to hear me talk about uh, uh, sports anyway, so I just need to get that off my chest a little bit, right? So it's good to have you here. If this is your first time here, we want to welcome you, encourage you to fill out a connection card, let us know who you are so we can um, just connect with you, pray for you, and, and hopefully uh, you begin to feel comfortable at, at OPCC and have a desire to make it your church home. We, uh, we look in our government, there's an entire department, the Treasury Department, who has a group within it, um, which their assignment is to track down counterfeiters, okay? So they, they have to find people who are counterfeiting our money and seek to, you know, do investigations and try to prosecute people to keep that from happening. And so the way they teach this department to learn how to identify um, a counterfeit bill is kind of interesting. They teach them to study the real ones. They don't teach them to study counterfeit ones. They just teach them over and over how, to, how our money feels, what it looks like, and that, so that whenever they have a counterfeit, they immediately can recognize that it is not the same as that which they know. And so when we look at um, John here and we get to 1 John chapter 3, and we've been learning how John is dealing with this heresy that's going on within the church. Um, People who were part of the body of Christ are starting to teach some things that are not right, that are not what um, we find in the Word, and so he's correcting that. And so when we get to uh, 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, he sort of has this idea in mind of recognizing what is real um, so that you can understand what is actually a counterfeit. And so we've already learned in uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, that um, no Christian is sinless. Like it says, if you, it says it, it, to, to say that you're without sin is to make God out to be a liar. And so we see that in 1 John chapter 1, uh, verse 8. And we see in verse 6 of our text today, it says, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has a has either seen him or known him. It almost sounds like a contradiction. It's like 1 John chapter 1, 8 says, hey, like nobody's without sin, no believers without sin, and, and if we say that we're without sin, we make God out to be a liar. Then we get to verse 6 of our text today, and it says no one who lives in him keeps on sinning, and it sounds like these two things are, are kind of opposed to one another, kind of a contradiction, if you will. And so what John has in mind when he talks about this in, in chapter 3, is what is known as the practice of sin. It's, no, it's not to commit a sin, but it is to enter into the practice of sin itself as a way of life. To consistently walk in sin, you are practicing uh, sin. And so a true believer, what John is teaching us, does not live in habitual sin. A true believer just is incapable of walking in sin habitually. He may, cons- he may commit a sin, but 
he does not practice sin habitually. So a true believer, what makes them different is that they know and they listen to God, whereas a counterfeit may talk about God, he may do religious things, but he doesn't know God. Okay, so when we look at what does it mean to be a believer? What does it mean to be, um, if you will, a Christian? Which I hate to say Christian because everybody thinks they're Christian. Like Most of the people you meet are Christian. And John is saying, look, it's not based upon what you call yourself. It's not based upon what you say. It's not based upon where you worship. You don't get a Christian by taking two Christians and having a baby and they have a Christian baby. Now, a lot of people think that. You can get a Methodist that way. You can get a Catholic that way. You can get a Baptist. But you cannot get a believer in Christ. Because believer in Christ is not based upon the home you were born in. It's not based upon what your parents are. It's based upon what you are. And so when we look in the word, what he is showing us, John is trying to show us, how do we recognize a true believer? And he is, he's teaching us that sure, Christians um, are not sinless, but they should sin less. Okay, so a believer in Christ, I think there's a certain expectation from you guys is that me as your pastor, that I should sin less, right? Well, there's a certain expectation of Jesus that you should do. <laughs> okay, so we should all be seeking to sin less. We're not going to be sinless, but we should be sinning less. And if we're going to love life, we have to know how to walk that out. And so when we look at, okay, what does it mean to be a, a follower of Christ, to be born again? Well, so, and, 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 I'm, and we're going to unpack this, but just by way of introducing it, there's something that happens. Like, so we got religious people in the world. Like you may be here today and you're a religious person. You like to go to church. You like the music. Um, you like Jesus. You just don't know him. And that's how you get a religious person. Religious person loves a lot of that stuff, but they don't know the Lord. And to know the Lord, all of that truth must be moved supernaturally from my head into my heart. And only God can do that. And how does God do that? Well, he does it through this experience that we see in the word. It's being born again. And so what happens is God in all of his sovereignty, which means that God knows everything. He is all powerful. He's, um, uh, he has all knowledge. He can be everywhere at any time. So God is everywhere right now. And he's, he's omnipotent. He, he's sovereign over everything. And in his sovereignty, he draws a person unto himself. And so he begins to work in a person's life and invite that individual to be a part of his kingdom. Well, in God's sovereignty, uh, he, he has created this thing called free will. And it's the free will of human beings. So God has all of his sovereignty. He has created humanity with free will, which means they can act independently of his sovereignty. That's where we get free will. So a person can have all of the knowledge about the Lord in his head. Like, he can be a good Catholic. She can be a good Methodist and have all that information, a good Baptist in their head and not know, any, not know Jesus personally. And so in that, 
how do I come to a place where I know Jesus personally? Well, God, he creates the opportunity and the Holy Spirit begins to draw a person. And all that truth is in that individual's head and it must be moved to the heart. And the only way, it is a very short distance, but it makes a major difference. And it's when that human takes that will and lays it down before the sovereign God of the universe and says, I recognize I am a sinner. He who is without sin, makes, he says he's without sin, John says, he makes God out to be a liar. So the person comes to the place and he says, he acknowledges, I, I realize, God, that I'm a sinner, that I need saved from my sin, and the only remedy for my sin is what you have done on the cross by coming as God the Son, Jesus Christ, and dying on the cross for my sins. So I take my life, my will, Lord, and I place it before you, and no longer will I be Lord of my life, but you will be Lord of my life. And in that moment, that's what it means to be born again. The information moves from a person's head. They're no longer religious. They know Jesus. There is a supernatural thing that happens within a human being when that takes place. And so everybody who's running around is saying they're Christian, they may not know Jesus. And that's what John is saying here, is that everybody who's saying they know the Lord doesn't know the Lord. So how do we know and how do we come to this place where we can sin less? Because the truth of the matter is, is before that thing happens with you and God and you're born again supernaturally, you tend to love sin more than you do God. And even after you know Jesus, you still, like your body, your flesh, the old man that's still alive, he still likes that sin, but now you have a power working within you to help you to walk out uh, in life where you are sinning less. And so Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that you might have life and you might have it to the fullest, abundantly, that you might walk out and, and, and enjoy life so much that you are sinning less. Why? Because you now know the God of the universe. You don't know about him. You don't know how to talk about him. You don't know. It's not that you know how to do religious things and go to religious places. You know Jesus. And there's a big difference between knowing Jesus and knowing about Jesus. And so John, he says to us three reasons why we should love life and sin less. And here's the first one. We should love life and sin less because the Father loves us. Now, what John's going to do in the next um, 10 verses, in these 10 verses, is he's going to show us, he's going to describe, as I've kind of set up this whole idea of being born again, and like, like getting religion off to the side and thinking relationship, he's going to show us how this thing works and how we can walk it out. Okay, so the first thing he, he teaches us is we should love life because uh, and sin less because the Father loves us. Look at verse 1 of our text. See, I love this. I mean, come on, like, this is good. See what great love the Father has lavished on us? Like, see what great love the Father has just lavished on us. And what is he talking about? He says that we should be called children of God. Like, there may be some things that are quirky about me. You look at me and you're like, 
I don't know about that right there. Like you may be looking at, I don't know about that shirt he's got on. <laughs> but I want to tell you something right now. You are looking at a son of the living God. Come on, see what great love he lavished on me? I am a child of his. And so, like, if we know him, if that, if that information is moved from our head to our heart and we know him, like we know Jesus, then we are children of God. And so he goes on to say, um, and, this, and that is what we are, he says. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, he says in verse 2, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. So three things John teaches us about why we should love um, life and sin less because the Father loves us. In verse 1, he tells us what we are. In verse 2, he tells us what we shall be. In verse 3, he tells us what we should be. What are we? We are sons and daughters of God now. Like right now. When you meet the Lord Jesus, like don't go telling people you're, you know, I'm non-denominational. I'm Baptist. I'm Catholic. I'm, I'm a son of the living God of the universe. I follow Jesus. I know him. All that other stuff is, is, is about where I go to worship and so on and so forth. And those things are important because doctrinally we want to line up with a group of people who are teaching the word of God. And we'll see why that is so important here in a moment. But that's what we are, is we are children of God. And you need to know that you are a child of God. When the information is moved, the truth is moved from your head to your heart. That's what it means to be born again, and you become a child of God. If the information is only in your head, you are not a son or daughter of God. And John's going to show us that. As a matter of fact, he's going to show us there's only two alternatives. You're not going to like this one. This was strong. I didn't write it. I'm just proclaiming it. You're either son of God or a son of the devil. That's it. Like if you, that's what the Bible teaches. And I'll show you this clearly and specifically how it teaches. People are either son of God, daughter of God, child of God, or child of the devil himself. And so we look and he says, what we are is children of God. And then he says in verse 2, now, he says, dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, he's coming back. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Did you know that the Bible, like, the, the Bible just said over and over in the Old Testament, it talked about the coming of Christ. Like, it talked about, like, the coming, the forecasting of uh, 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 of uh, the Messiah who would be born of a virgin, how he would come, how he would be, that he would die for the sins of humanity. And, and people missed it. A lot of the Jewish people missed it, and they didn't see it. But the Bible just says a ton about the coming of Christ. It says more about his second coming than it did his first. Like, he's coming back. Like, he's coming back. And why is he coming back? To get his kids. Like, he is 
The Father, He has lavished His love on us to make us children. There is a transaction that takes place. We become followers of Jesus. We are born again, and now we're children of God. And what we are is children of God, but what we will be has not been made known. But something's coming. Paul says, in a twinkling of an eye, in a flash, boom, we shall be changed. We shall be made like Him. You see, Jesus, the physical resurrected Jesus with a body, is in heaven right now. Not the spiritual Jesus, like the, the, the one that came and met with the apostles that turned the world upside down, that all of a sudden that the guys were in hiding, they come out of hiding and the church comes out of the ground. That guy who died for the sins of human beings is alive in heaven right now with a, with a resurrected body. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he is the first fruits of the resurrection. You know what that means? There's coming a day when, when all those who have died in Christ, again, Paul says, in, 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 I believe it's 1 or 2 Thessalonians chapter four, that those who die in Christ shall be raised a new, with a new body. So those who die in Christ are resurrected. So like we lay a, a loved one to rest. Like you can she say, I died today. And they put me in the ground probably by Tuesday or Wednesday. That's typically about how long it takes. I'm not staying there. Like I'm, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So my soul that is a child of God right now that's what I am. Goes to be with God immediately. Goes to be with the resurrected Christ. I am with him in my soul, which is all that I am. But when he comes back, we shall see him and that body that has perished and gone back into the planet will be resurrected by Christ anew. And I shall be like him. We shall see him at his appearing. And so John is saying, listen, we should love life and sin less um, we should love life and sin less because the Father loves us and we are children of God and what we are right now are sons and daughters of God and what we shall be is like Jesus. We shall have that resurrected body and we should live in that hope. Like you get some bad news, the first thing you should think of is I'm gonna be a resurrected person. Like God is bringing, he is, he's gonna raise my body from the dead. That is fundamental Christian doctrine in the word. Like, like if you don't believe that, then you, like you are certainly not what we would classify a Christian. You don't believe what Jesus taught. This is exactly what he taught, that he's coming back and he was going to call us unto himself. And so um, in light of that, he tells us this is what we are, this is what we shall be. And then he tells us in verse three what we should um, be. He says, all who have this hope, what hope? the hope that they're children of God and that Jesus is coming back for them. All who have that hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. We seek to live holy lives. We seek to sin less. Why? Because we are children of God. He's coming back for us. And what we are right now is his children and what we shall be is like him when he um, resurrects our bodies to reunite with our souls and we live for eternity with him in the future. And so this all gets down to this right here. A lot of people like to say, well, when a Christian sins, it's different. First John, First John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. I'm thankful for that. 
But when we say that when a Christian sins, it's different, we're right. It's worse. It's worse than when an unbeliever sins. Why is it worse? Well, an unbeliever who sins is a creature sinning against his creator. A believer who sins is a child sinning against his father. And it's worse. It's just worse. Someone who, one of my kids sinning against me is worse than one of the neighbor kids sinning against me. Why? Because I'm their dad. I think a, a great illustration I read this week uh, is a story about a teenage girl who, after a homecoming, I think it is homecoming week, so what fitting story to tell, right? After homecoming, the homecoming game, a lot of the kids were going to go out to so-and-so's um, land, and there was going to be a big party, and people were just going to be getting wasted. And so one of the girls told her, her date, said, I, I'd like for you to take me home. And so one of her friends said, what, are you afraid your dad will hurt you? And she would quickly respond and said, no, I'm afraid I'll hurt my dad. See, she understood what it meant to be in a relationship with her father and how to love her father with her actions, and she didn't want to hurt him. And so true children who experience the love of the father and the truth has been moved from their head to their heart. They have been born again, have no desire to sin against that love that has been lavished on them. And so we're not, like, we're not talking about sinless perfection. I don't believe in that. Like you should know that, that, that the word teaches that we're going to sin. But the word also teaches we should not be walking in sin as a practice. We're comfortable with it. We're habitual in it. It doesn't bother us. It should, it should bother us. Why? Because it's, we're children of God, and, and he is our father, and so we should not be able just to willingly walk in sin in that practice, and that's what John is, is teaching us here. Then he goes on, the second takeaway is we should love life and sin less. Why? Because the Son died for us. Look at verses uh, 4 through 8. Everyone who sins, he says, breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. Now one who lives in him keeps or no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And so when we look at the scripture here, we see that Jesus or John is teaching us very clearly. And, and sorry, I kind of got mixed up there. I looked down at the clock and it said 11. I was like, it can't be 11. Uh, and so I got lost there for a second. But, but here we see is that, that um, if we love life and sin less because Jesus the Son died for us. And, and, and when we read this, we see in verses 4 through 6 that Jesus died to take away our sins. That was the first reason for his death. The, the second reason in verses 7 and 8 is to destroy the works of the devil. And so willful sin proves we don't appreciate what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. It disproves it. Like if we're just willfully walking in sin, 
it just proves that we don't appreciate what Jesus did when he died on the cross. So sin, we look at him and go, okay, what is sin? Well, sin is taking our will and asserting it against God's will. So again, we say, all right, here's free will. Here's the sovereignty of God. God has given us free will. And as we surrender that will to him, he becomes Lord of the universe. We're walking out in life where he is Lord and we are servants within his kingdom. And anytime we take our will and we assert it against God's will, we are entering into a spirit of rebellion and we are sinning against God. And so sin is, is not just about like um, sins. There are sins of commission. Like we commit a sin that we know is an act. We cheat, we steal, we are sinning. We are committing a sin. But then there are sins of omission. We know that we should do something and God has convicted us to do it and we don't do it. And so we don't do something that God has asked us to do. Guess what? We've just sinned. We've not done what God has asked us to do because we've asserted our will and said, I would rather not do that. I would rather do what? What I want to do. That's my will being asserted over God's will, not listening to God. What did Jesus say in John 10, uh, chapter 10? My sheep hear my voice. They know my voice. They hear me and they follow. Like they listen and they, they obey and they, they follow through with what I'm asking them to do. And so it's a matter of what's happening on, in, on, in the heart when it comes to what is going on in sin. It, it's not a matter so much of even behavior, which because What's in the heart will dictate the behavior. For instance, I, I, sometimes my kids fight. Can y'all believe that? Like there are five of them, and they get into an argument, and they're just furious. And they say, and they talk to one another just awful sometimes. And, and so I have to get on to them. They say, you need to, like, apologize to your sister, or you need to apologize to your brother. And they're just like, they're, Sorry. <laughs> Like, that's not what we're talking about here. Like, you, you may have just said, thought you apologized, but we could tell you're still sinning on the inside. You have not said sorry on the inside. And so that's what this is about, is like, when we're taking our will, and even though we might do the right things on the outside, if we're not doing it on the inside, this is why Jesus talked about the heart so much, is because the heart is where it's at. And so he's, he's, he's teaching us is that it's a matter of what's happening on the inside. And so to stay pure, as he talks about in verse 3, is that when we love, um, uh, uh, we, we sin less because we love the Father, and, and he says we, we should be pure, and, and so to stay pure means that we abide and don't allow stuff between ourselves and Jesus. Like, so again, John uses this word meno, the, the, the Greek word meno, it means to abide. He used it in John chapter 15 because he's writing what Jesus taught. As Jesus taught that if you abide in me, you will produce fruit. And so he talks so um, uh, powerfully about what it means to abide in Christ because to stay pure means we abide and we don't let sin, that, that asserting my will, come between me and Jesus. And the only way to do that is to consistently sit with the Lord, be in the word, and let it do its work on us. And so not only did Jesus take away our sins in the sense that he died to take them away, but he also died to destroy the works of the devil. We see that in verses um, 7 through 8. Now, again, look at what he says. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And so when we see that, we see if we know Jesus, 
we obey him. If we belong to the devil, we obey him. So everybody in the world, like everybody in the world is in one of those two camps. This is what the scripture teaches. We either know the Lord and we're following in obedience to him, or we don't know him, which means we belong to the devil himself. And we don't hear a lot talked about the devil because I think we've become so intellectual that we think, well, we can't talk about devils. Well, devils are all over the word, and the world is screwed up. If you want to know it, like, like you look at what happened to Las Vegas and be like, well, what's going on here? What's going on? The world is broken. The sin has existed ever since the beginning of time. The first humans sinned, and they plunged all of the human race into um, a separation from God. And we're like, the world is just broken. And so people do broken, evil stuff. And there's a world system out there that just feeds that and leads that. And that's why the, 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 the Apostle John teaches us, as he taught last week, is that we cannot love the world system because it will lead us down um, that very path. And so the, the chief activity of the devil is to oppose everything of Christ. Now, he is not sovereign like God. He is not omnipotent like God. He's not omnipresent like God. He can't be everywhere, but he has led a rebellion of, pe- of created beings called fallen angels that is a demonic world that is out there that, that is behind a lot of the things that we see that are happening. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, if you study it, that we are in a war. Like, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against powers and principalities, forces of darkness in this world. And so like followers of Jesus, the truth has moved from their head to their heart. This whole born again thing has happened for them. They're not religious. They're not Catholic. They're not Methodist. They're not um, Baptist. They're not Protestant or this or that. They love Jesus and know Jesus. And because of that, they realize they're living in a world and that is fallen and that is a very confused and broken, and they are doing everything that they can to live their lives in such a way that they are following hard after Jesus as active soldiers in this battle that we find ourselves in. And so here's the difference between a believer and an unbeliever, is a child of God cannot enjoy deliberate sin. And so Jesus died to defeat it. And so we look at, okay, here's deliberate, active rebellion against Christ and a, and a, and a, a person who's been made a child of, of God himself cannot habitually walk in that. It begs the question, how is the devil's work defeated in a person's life? Well, John answers that. And in, in the last point, he says, we should love life and sin less because the Holy Spirit lives in us. And so John's going to bring that whole transaction of what I'm talking about, about being born again spiritually, like you're no longer religious, you know the Lord. You have been, you have been moved from just a person in the world to now you are a son or daughter of God. How does that happen? Well, this is what he says. Watch it in verses 9 and 10. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. Like the, that's what it means. Like you're, you're born again. The seed of God is put in you. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. And what did Jesus say the great commandment was? Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. The second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
And so John is saying one of the measures as to whether we know that a person is truly as a child of, a child of God is how they treat brothers and sisters in the kingdom. <laughs> it's like we are, we are to be people of love. And sometimes people who claim to be um, great, like they, they claim to be followers of Jesus, they claim to be Christians, they don't love people. Like I know people in this community, there are people who have not forgiven me. How can you do that and say that you have the seed of God in you? You are actively, habitually practicing sin. And it's not possible. John just, he just clearly spells it out and says, you cannot have, how can you have love for God in whom you cannot see if you don't have love for your brother who's standing right in front of you? And so we are to be people who walk out forgiveness. Well, what if the person doesn't deserve forgiveness? We didn't deserve forgiveness. This is why Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for them. How do you do that? You can't do it if the information is only in your head. You must have the seed of God move from your head to your heart and you are born again and God is living in you and now you are bearing the nature of your father, not yourself. This is all what the scripture is trying to show us. Whosoever is born of God does not practice sin. Why does he not practice sin? Because he has a new nature. God's seed is in him. John chapter three, verse six, John said this. Um, Jesus said this to, to Nicodemus. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. So physical life produces physical life and spiritual life produces spiritual life. And just because you come to OPCC doesn't mean you have spiritual life. Like, I can't, I can't come over you and lay my hand on you and say, you know what, all of a sudden, I'm going to give you spiritual life. It is not mine to give. It is the Lord's. And the only way you can get it is to take your will, bow your knee at the cross of Christ, and say, I am a sinner who stands in need of God's grace. Forgive me, Lord. Be Lord of my life. I know there's nothing I can do, and the truth moves from your head to your heart, and the Spirit of God invades your life. And the seed of God now lives in you, and you don't love sin as much as you used to because you love God more. Because he's living in you now. You don't just know about him. You know him personally. You are walking with him. Jesus said that flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And this is what I meant when I said, like, you, you, you can't have two people who are believers in Christ who produce another believer in Christ. They can produce another Catholic. They could produce a Methodist. They could produce a Baptist. But they cannot produce a follower of Jesus. There's different parents for that. They're spiritual parents. And so a child of God's word, or a child of God's parents, are the word and the Holy Spirit. What is the job of the, who, who, what did Jesus say? What did John talk about? And in the beginning was the word, and the word was God. It is the logos, the truth of the word of God. And the Holy Spirit's job is to come and convict the world of sin. And so the Spirit uses the Word to convict us of sin and reveal the Savior. And see, we walk with the Lord. And as we abide in Christ, we defeat the enemy. We bear fruit. And we love life. That right there is New Testament Christianity, not Johnson County Christianity. 
That is the truth of the word of God. And, the, and, and Jesus himself died to set the sinner free. Not so we could play religious jargon. But so that we could bow before the Lord of the universe and say, I am a son or a daughter of God. This is what I am. He's coming back for me and I shall be like him. And my life is worthy. His life, my life is worthy. Like he is worthy of my life. Yeah, I'm just going to give it to him. He gets all of me, not part of me. I'm going to quit asserting my will above his. And when I recognize that I'm asserting my will above his, I'm going to call it what it is. It is sin. And I'm going to say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Help me overcome my desire to assert my will above yours. The big idea is to love life, I should sin less. Like I should just sin less. This was written not so that we could look at everybody else and go, look, I'm going to examine them. It was written so that we could examine ourselves and ask God honestly some serious questions. Do I have the divine nature or am I merely pretending? Like, is the seed of God in me or am I just pretending? Do I cultivate this divine nature by abiding in the word and prayer? You cannot cultivate the seed of God in you without being in the word and prayer. It's not possible. Jesus said, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. How do you abide in him? The word and prayer. You got to get in the truth and you got to talk to God about it. Do I cultivate the divine nature, again, by abiding in the word and prayer? Has any unconfessed sin defiled my inner man? Is there something, like maybe there's somebody in your life that you've been holding on to for bitterness, and like it just defiled the inner man. You won't let go and, and, and grant forgiveness. It, look, somebody doesn't have to ask for forgiveness for you to grant it. Like, you can grant it, and it's holding captive over you. Does the old man or new man control my thoughts and desires? When temptation comes, do I flee or have fun with it? To love life, we must be honest with God and answer these questions. One of the things, like, what OPCC, as long as I'm here, well, what it will never be, never, is a place of religion. It's a place of relationship. It's a place where the sons and daughters of God meet together to learn about the truth of the word, yield their lives to it, and go out and love people. Like not anything else. That, that, that's what we're supposed to be. Do you have the divine nature in you? Or are you just holding on to what you saw in someone else? Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.